I, yeah, I don't pay. Yeah. Yeah. You didn't get your nails so. polished. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to CPET's podcast, Center Ed Teaching. Today, I'm joined by a rowdy crew of characters. Um, <laughs> to my left is Jackie. Uh, to my right is Faith. And sitting across from me with furrowed brows and a beard of power is Brian. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> well said, well said. It's more of a beard of privilege, but let's, you know, let's not put too fine a point on it. Um, so for today's topic, we're going to depart a little bit from the norm because I feel many of the topics that we've covered in previous podcasts have been topics that are hot in the educational sphere of research and what's going on in policy. But today we want to pay attention to something that's incredibly important but often not paid enough attention to and talking about how do we prioritize the social and emotional health of students while still pushing them for academic success, knowing that that's something that they need. Um, and so I think an easy way for us to get into this issue is to think about what kind of pressures are students under. And to do that, I think it helps maybe to unpack who or what puts those pressures on students and then what those specific pressures are. So I guess my first question for the group is, what kind of pressures do teachers put on students within schools? Uh, I think one of the big ones is uh, pressure to be uh, academically successful, and that's as successful with air quotes around it. Um, or uh, an other language that I hear is uh, academic achievement. Um, uh, oftentimes there is a sort of uh, notion that success in school is a prerequisite for, or success in uh, elementary, middle, high school is a prerequisite for success in college, which is a prerequisite for a good paying job, which is how you get success in life. Um, so there's this notion that there's one path to follow, and that path is um, goes through college and through um, some level of academic attainment that um, gets you there. Um, but there's plenty of uh, fulfilling, wonderful, successful lives to be had um, that don't conform to that vision. Um, yet the the pressure is still put there by schools, and and I think it sometimes that pressure is done is is um, sort of mistakenly applied through uh, a notion of well we want to have high expectations we want our students to, to be able to, to do their very best school work, um, but the the resulting narrative could put uh, or does put a lot of pressure on students. Um, at this moment, I'm thinking about uh, to the the Common Core language of college and career ready. Um, often that career part falls by the wayside and folk just think about college ready. I just want to break down what you said real quick into two different things because I think the imposition of the school or teachers and their own values of success on students works in two different ways because sometimes students do want that academic success right. and then that yeah. added pressure of teachers right like heightens that anxiety almost mm -hmm. but then there's also the students whose ideas of success might not align with the school or teacher which then can create kind of a confrontational relationship where the student may feel belittled by those expectations so I just I, I hear what you're saying but I think there's also that nuance to it I think you're right absolutely Um, <clears throat> when I think about expectations like uh, academic success, I also think about um, success maybe in a particular content area. So your passion for your subject that you're teaching, um, and I think 
even in what Brian was saying, that um, it can come out of a place of you want students to be able to have their, the opportunities ahead of them. Um, and in the same way, like if my content area is math, and I'm like, great, you can all do it, you can all, and then, and then I really put a lot of pressure on you need to excel in this. And if you're not excelling in it, then um, what's wrong? Something's wrong. I'm not a math person. I can't do it. You know, and it's like a retreating instead of like inviting more into the into the content area where, where I want them to be. Yeah, I also think that um, a lot of times um, students' histories follow them in a school, um, and mm -hmm. so sometimes knowledge of students and the roles that they tend to play in the classroom um, contribute to this pressure. So instead of thinking about students as you know, individuals who feel differently on different days or who are still becoming who they are. We think mm -hmm. of, um, you know, these are the students who always lead the conversation, so I'm going to put up pressure on them to lead the conversation. Or um, this kid tends to add comic relief, so I hope he's funny right now. Mm -hmm. um, and even in the way I just explained that, I think sometimes that also um, has to do with gendered ways of thinking about students. So, um, you know, putting a smart girl... Um, quote-unquote, with the difficult boys, for example, to help them succeed. Um, and so it's just sort of pigeonholing students into those roles. Um, students then feel pressure to be that thing, even if they don't necessarily always feel like that thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think those are all right. And one other thing that I think about that can really impact students' kind of social and emotional health within a classroom um, is the way teachers grade because most often what happens is there's a lot of grading at the beginning of a quarter or beginning of a semester and so that kind of weights the grade so a student may get off to a slow start want to change and then they keep trying and they're getting really good grades on their assignments but because the grade book is set up to weight particular grades in such a way or because it's just a point system then there actually is no change in the grade, mm -hmm. and so the student internalizes, I'm doing everything I can, and it's not good enough. And now I don't know what to do to change that. And so I think that's something that works in ways for different teachers based on how they set up their grade books. But I think that's one of the leading contributors, at least that I've seen in my experience, uh, to the kind of anxiety that school can engender in children. Um, but in addition to teachers, obviously parents are influential in the development of children, but just like teachers, they put their own kind of pressures on children. So in your guys' work with students and things like that, what kind of pressures have you seen that parents can put on students? Yeah, I think similar to what we've been talking about with teachers, it's unintended um, and can even come from like a, a good place. But I think back to students that I had when I first started working with kids, uh, middle school and high school kids, and part of what I would do is they, they, it was like a camp setting or we would go on trips, retreats, that kind of thing. And um, in particular, I remember coming back from one of the trips and mentioning um, to a parent, um, oh, it was really great. Peter and Seth had this um, thing where they were kind of seeing if you saw slowly or quickly, which one will like more quickly go through the log, right? And how we were, we were um, helping to build uh, a house. And they were just like, my kid was sawing anything. What are you talking about? Like, that's not my kid. And I was like, no, they were amazing at it. And they worked so hard each day. And 
they had a hard time seeing their kid in that way, and it was surprising to them. And I think the idea, Jackie, that you were just talking about, sort of pigeonholing them, and it's understandable. I mean, they've known them since um, whenever it was that they first met, whether it's when they were born or if it was a foster kid or whatever, but they've known them for a while, and they know them. They really know them. They see them at home and in all, in all kinds of moods, and um, but still, there's... There's a way that they view them, and it can be difficult to get out outside of that. Yeah, and I think uh, similar to that or related to that is the a way that parents also view success for their kid or mm-hmm. um, uh, the, the path that they want their kid to travel. Um, and there are a lot of different ways that um, we all sort of come to this understanding of what we think a successful life is. But um, whether it's a, a academic pressure that uh, parents want to put or participation in certain extracurricular activities or, mm-hmm. you know, what whatever it is that the, the parents feel the kid ought to be doing, um, then um, that can uh, certainly put a tremendous amount of pressure on the kid to, to, to do that very thing, even if it does not bring them joy or worse, yeah. brings them some kind of harm. Um, and uh, I think there's a, a, a tricky thing here where parents often don't know what life in the school is like for their kids, um, just as surely as uh, teachers often don't know what life is like Mm -hmm, at the home. mm -hmm. So um, if a parent is putting a particular academic uh, or pressure for traditional academic success on a a student, but doesn't realize that in, you know, in that math class, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a wild and woolly place and Mm -hmm. it's hard to pay attention Mm -hmm. and various other challenges that a student might face, then it might seem that the student's lack of success is due to lack of effort or lack of caring when there could be several other factors at play. Yeah, I think actually it came to me as you were saying this, thinking about what we've said so far, there's a disconnect between a student's interpretation of their success and what they're doing compared to a teacher's or parent's Mm -hmm. or society's. And when those come in conflict, in a lot of ways that's what heightens that anxiety or makes the place or the school not hospitable to their social or emotional health. Um, I guess the last thing, though, that we want to talk about when thinking about where these pressures come from is the societal pressures that are on students, because those in some ways may even be more constant than those from a teacher um, or parents, because those can be internalized. Um, I guess, how do we think about this? One thing that comes to me is that there are so many expectations for a student's identity while in school. Um, what kind of identity norms do you guys see in your work that impacts students? Um, yeah, so, I mean, one that, that comes immediately to me are the norms around um, gender and sexuality, um, whether, um, I mean, and these things are things that get, get teased apart and, and should be teased apart, but... Right now, I'm thinking about the uh, high the fact that um, queer kids, trans kids, um, have higher rates of uh, um, dropping out of school, of suicide, of homelessness, of drug addiction, um, um, and uh, it seems to me that it's uh, a pretty uh, not doesn't take too many steps to to connect the dots between a pressure to be a certain way and then not fitting in with that pressure or not fitting in with that certain way and then all of a sudden that the pressure can be um too much so in terms of your your identity of, of you know a gender identity or sexuality identity that's a, a challenging place for a challenging space for a number of students 
Yeah, I mean, I think going along with that, although not quite the same, is there are those identity markers of class or success. So do you have the right kind of shoes? Are you wearing the right kind of clothes? Is your backpack new? Is it five years old? Is it a plastic one? Is it, I don't know what cool backpacks are, right? But but there are these pressures to, whether it is to be cool, to fit in among peers that you know, can often take the forefront of students' minds as opposed to what's going on in algebra or what's going on in physical science when that seems so much more immediate to their daily interactions. Well, and I think about, like, being... Um, th- that just makes me think about being in between classes and, <coughs> like, maybe middle school, high school, um, maybe out at recess during elementary school that things happen, like comments about whatever it is you're wearing mm-hmm. or about who you're supposed to be, and then you walk into your next class, and how, of course, that is in the forefront of your mind. That just happened, and you haven't processed through it or talked to anybody about it, or, you know, so of course that's right there in the way. Yeah, that makes me think of um, sort of cliques or, you know, social circles or hierarchies within schools, and I don't know, it might sound cliche to talk about, you know, the popular kids versus the unpopular kids, but I do think that um, every school has sort of its own local ecology um, in terms of social circles and um, what's cool and what's not. So there are those bigger societal pressures, but then I think each school's community kind of has its own rules that you have to be aware of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think in the other one that may be obvious and it seems a little trite to state it is there's just the expectation of success right the expectation is that you go to school and you get a good grade and then you go to next like and inherent in that expectation is if someone does not meet that expectation there's a sense of failure or not fitting in so the school almost by its very construction creates this place where there are those who are successful and those who are not even if that isn't the intention Um, but the other thing that comes to mind as we're talking through this is that different students feel these pressures Mm -hmm. in different ways. Um, so for instance, in high school and middle school, uh, Brian, you seem to be the expert around navigating peer-to-peer relationships. I don't know if you have something to say here. (laughs) Wow. Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, going back to this notion of um, uh, gender and sexuality, um, a a lot of the way that plays out is in uh, romantic relationships. Um, You know, uh, there are expectations for when and how often and with whom we are meant to engage in um, romantic relationships and um, you know just just think to how many like teen comedies center around some kid losing their virginity Um, it's 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 cliche um, but that's a pressure that students face um, constantly Um, and then and then it's meant to to look a certain way right boys are meant to do this girls are meant to do that and don't do that otherwise you're bad and mm-hmm. you better do this otherwise you're a loser mm-hmm. so um, uh, it's a it's a it's a pressure that continues throughout life but um, as kids are coming of age um, it, for that 13 to 18 range that we have them in middle school and high school it's just the, the, that pressure is is tremendous and then also the pressure to like figure it out and do it right the first time mm-hmm. um, is is tremendous there so um, you know these are these are are, are 
currents that students have to, or that people have to navigate their entire lives, but they are first thrown into these swirling currents at this age. Yeah, and I think that also gets at a nice point of illustrating when you're talking about romantic relationships, how different genders Mm -hmm. have different expectations for how many Mm -hmm. people they can or should date, what other gender they should or Mm -hmm. should not date, and and how that intersects. But I also Mm -hmm. think, for me, that I've been thinking a lot more and getting out of my space normally in middle school and high schools is elementary schools, and really the the expectation is compliance. Mm -hmm. Right. It's if you ask a question, you only ask a question this way at this particular time. You color in the lines. You do this step by step. You stay, and so by learning almost this compliance, it once again it creates that kind of culture within the school that to be non-compliant is to not be successful. And so kids who are not compliant then start to internalize that as a problem of themselves. Um, Okay, this is getting too negative for me, so (laughs) let's maybe turn around and how can teachers respond to these issues? So, I mean, how can teachers lessen the pressure that they put on students or some of these social pressures that we were just talking about? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to my mind is for for teachers to know themselves, for teachers to... um, basically take care of themselves in a way so that they can see and feel their own pressure and recognize it and work through it so that they aren't um, unknowingly putting that pressure onto students. And I think that that happens in all kinds of settings and schools, workplaces. We, we feel the pressure and then we pass that pressure on mm-hmm. unless we are aware of it and working through it, whatever that looks like for people. If that's, I gotta work out, I gotta you know, maybe I go to therapy or maybe um, I crochet so that I have like, you know, whatever it is that, that people need to do. But being self-aware is like super important. So some time for, for reflection and self-care is really important. I'm thinking about what Matt said earlier about um, grading and that being one way that um, teachers put pressure on students. Um, And so I'm thinking that when sort of when creating a grading policy or thinking about how they conceptualize assessment in their classroom, Mm -hmm. um, teachers might want to think of ways to reduce the daily pressure so that it's not like um, if a student is having a bad day or, um, you know, there's some issue going on in a student's life that doesn't have to do with academics, that it means, um, you know, failure is imminent, right? So, Mm -hmm. for example, I'm thinking about you know, choices and in, in what's going to be handed in for assessment so that if one assignment maybe wasn't the best or it didn't reflect the student's best work, it didn't mean the end-all be-all of everything. Yeah, and I think that actually builds really nice on what, like, Faith was saying in the sense of being aware of how your class may be impacting students. And, like, what mm-hmm. you're saying is, okay, I'm aware that I'm grading and I'm a difficult grader, so students really need to do their best work, but if it's this daily grind, that can actually wear them down. So if I create this space where if they have a bad day, that assignment can be null and void, then I have that awareness to kind of fix what I'm doing. I, I think that really makes good sense. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, actually, Matt, I, I am reminded of a, a little mantra that I used to practice um, when I was a teacher. Um, uh, especially when I had a conflict with a student, um, which is at the end of the class when that kid is, is, is running for the door, um, I would intercept them um, and I would say, hey, listen, tomorrow's a new day. Um, and to say, like, it didn't go well for us today. 
tomorrow is a, is a new day. So the idea... Can I just stop you right there? I yeah. love the fact that you said it didn't go well for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, right. right, in terms of it's not the student's fault, it's a collaborative effort. Oh, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, that's, a that's I think, is a, a real a sort of essential part of all of this is, um, uh, you know, I, I have a, a problem of defaulting to, to, to a, not a problem, I guess, but I tend to default to a notion of, Everything that we do is um, some expression of interpersonal relationships, mm-hmm. and teaching is a, a, at its very core that. Mm-hmm. Um, so if things don't go well in a situation, it, well, it takes at least two to tango, um, as they say. Um, but uh, uh, so so that's a, 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 a kind of a, an idea that I have to sort of um, speak to um, how you can right the ship when when things go wrong to try to bleed off uh, some of that pressure Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. uh, that students might feel. Um, But uh, um, it also, I think, what comes up, and this is related to um, uh, something Faith said about uh, teachers being aware of themselves, is being aware of what they bring to a reading of the content. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I'm I'm reminded of a, a moment, a kind of a really problematic and challenging moment I had in a class where I uh, saw a ninth grade or I listened to a ninth grade English teacher um, who was teaching of mice and men. Oh, spoiler alert here. Um, go out and read mice, <laughs> of mice and men, by the way. Um, when um, Lenny accidentally kills Curly's wife, um, that teacher led the students through a, uh, a process of victim blaming um, to say, like, this is, this is Curly's wife's problem for showing up in that red dress and being flirtatious and whatever. And now all of a sudden, all I can think is all of the young women in the class are hearing that message and are being told how to behave lest some violent end come to you. Um, and all of the young men in that class are hearing that, oh, so if someone, if a woman behaves in that certain way, not my fault. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the, the even the, the, in the presentation of the content, um, the, there are problems <coughs> of... Uh, of causing pressure um, for, for students. Um, so I think a pro- proactive measure that teachers can take then is creating, is, you know, leaving a space um, to use the content as a jumping off point for really um, critically reading those ideologies and um, those types of societal pressures that influence students. So doing some, you know, feminist readings mm-hmm. of things mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And, and leaving space for students to unpack the things that, that, cause them to feel pressure in society yeah and i think also to your point right like the awareness that nothing is neutral Mm -hmm. and it's going to impact students in a variety of ways so what is it all the different things that the text can be interpreted as and how can i navigate that conversation so that it is one of inclusivity and not exclusivity or um articulation of what particular behaviors should be um, right, because if we're talking about supporting students' social and emotional health by once again prescribing how they have to feel, how they have to behave, goes counter mm-hmm. to that, and I think that's part of the problems that we also get into. Um, I don't know. I guess part of this, Brian, you and I were talking earlier about the idea of, you know, building relationships with students. Yeah, I think um, if you only encounter, if a teacher only encounters a student in the classroom. Mm-hmm then um, building a sort of robust intersubjective relationship is going to be challenging. The structures of power in the classroom are such that, or generally are such that 
um, uh, it will be difficult for uh, students to, um, you know, for lack of a better word, open up to the teacher because it's kind of like, well, I'm going to invoke my Fifth Amendment rights. I'm not going to say anything because I don't want it to be used against me in mm-hmm. grading or, or whatever. I found that I always, um, w- the best relationships I've had with students have come um, from working with them outside of the classroom, whether it's coaching a sports team or directing a play or um, uh you know, running the service learning component of a of a of a curriculum. Um, the idea is that if I encounter students outside of the classroom context, I can present differently. Students can present differently. We can let down our guard. Um, we can get to know each other through the experience of some shared endeavor. Um, and then when we get to know each other in that way, um, then those relationships come back into the classroom or they go back into the, mm-hmm. the just the school in general. Um, so even if I don't teach that kid, when I see them walking down the hall, I can say, you know, what's up, Julio? How's it going? That's great. And just cultivate um, a, a teacher persona, which is one a person who gets to know students. Yeah, and I think it comes back to what you were saying about interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. These are people walking into a yeah. classroom together. So that's why it isn't just a student's fault it, mm-hmm. when something happens. So that, you know, we're creating this thing together. And it makes me think about, like, um, within the walls of the classroom, even being able to say, for instance, so Jackie, I just presented this um, question about of mice and men. What do you think about that question? Mm-hmm. What does it make you think of? And really working throughout the year to help students articulate and have their own voice for it made me feel uncomfortable I'm not sure why mm-hmm. or wow that really seems to me like you're blaming someone who was the victim of this mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. situation so even within the classroom walls to be able to be vulnerable and to ask for feedback from your students because we cannot hear ourselves the way that they're hearing us yeah and so I think before we move on to the next section if I can put a tidy bow on this which mm-hmm. I probably can't But it seems like the recommendation is to think about two ways. One, you can help the social and emotional health of your students by creating relationships with them that lets them know that they are seen as a full individual and not just some student or some grade, but also building in structures, whether it's a feedback system, whether it's a grading system that enables students to have voice, to be vulnerable, to have a bad day and have it not ruined everything for them um so i'm sure there's more that falls under those um that little binary that's created there but something maybe if you're thinking about what can i do in my classroom using that as a frame to start um could be good we had alluded to earlier the the pressure that parents put on students so this is a difficult situation so how as a teacher do you lessen that pressure of parents one of the things that i think is very helpful and pretty quick to do is to give positive feedback to a parent. It has to be real um, positive feedback, but (coughs) so look for what a student is doing that you can share with the parent that is positive. And just a quick email, quick text, or call, whatever it is that you've worked out in your classroom to, um, I I think, to let the parent know something positive about their kid so that they can sort of breathe a little easier and go, huh, you know, if the parent doesn't know what's happening in the classroom, here's a way to show one thing that did happen. And typically you get calls that are more about problem, whatever, behavior. Mm-hmm. And so this kind of thing would really help parents, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I think similar to that, if you can, as a teacher, creating a space Mm -hmm. um, where the student and the parent and you can all get on the same page of what's going on. So I know I've had students in the past that come up and, oh, my, like, mom or dad is so upset because of X, Y, Z, and, like, I'm doing my best, it's not working now. So I said, okay, like, how about the three of us sit down and we have a conversation about what's going on and feelings and expectations. And not every time, right, did something work, but it at least it created a space where students' feelings could be acknowledged, whether or not they were acted upon. Um, and it could create also a relationship with the parent and I, right? The parent knew that I had their child's best interest at heart. And so some of that pressure, instead of always being directly on the student, would sometimes be navigated towards me. Because instead of saying, why did this grade happen? Uh, Saying that to a student, a parent might say, hey, Mr. Couts, like, you know, this essay, we worked really hard on it. Can you explain, like, what's going on here so I can better help my student? Not always, right? That's, that's ideal, but that does happen. The one other thing that I just want to add on that is I also think often as teachers, we live in our silos, in our mm-hmm, classrooms, mm-hmm. and we can do everything ourselves. And think about who else is in the building that can help with these relationships, whether it's the social worker, whether it's the dean of students, maybe there's a teacher who's closer to that particular parent. It's an advisory teacher or something like that that you can go through, but not working alone Mm -hmm. to support all your students, Mm -hmm. but using the channels that are available to you that are best for students. Um, With the end on that, I feel like we've talked about part one of a two-part question. One is, like, how to help students with the social-emotional learning and their development as people. But there's this other part, too, that, like, they actually, we do want them to do well academically. Mm -hmm. And so now that we're talking about, okay, ways that we can lessen that burden, how do we lessen that burden and promote that academic success? Mm Well, it... (laughs) That <laughs> it, it has to come from the, the student's desire. It has mm-hmm. to come from what the yeah. students want for themselves in the short term or like the immediate term, what they want today, and then speaking to them in the, the, the short-term future and then the long-term future mm-hmm. um, and helping them come to some um, decision about what they want before they can start taking action on, you know, mm-hmm. toward, toward some, some goal. I mean, this is, there isn't a single path that everyone must follow, yet that's a message that is constantly put. So if we can open <coughs> the conversation about um, paths uh, toward successful, flourishing lives mm-hmm. um, and have those genuine conversations with our students, um, then we can say to them, like, oh, okay, I get it. You want to be a, a veterinarian. Well, here are all of the different academic requirements that can get you to that, that spot. Or you want to be an electrician. Well, here is the sort of academic work you have to get there. So as teachers, one of the things that we have we can offer students is just our perspective and our experience yeah. um, that at 15 years old, you know, a lot of students just don't have. Um, so if we can at least open with a conversation about what they want in the short and long-term future, then we can pivot toward a, well, here are the things that you need to, to get that done. So let's 
make that happen, whether it's a high school diploma or a college degree or grad school. Yeah, I think building off that, one of the things I used to do with my students is whether it was their goal, like, I want to go to X college or I want this job, mapping out what you said, but sometimes also, what do you want in life? Mm -hmm. And they'd say, well, I'd want a car. Yeah. And so I'd say, yeah. okay, how much does, do you want a new car or you, you want an old car? Oh, no, no, I want a new car. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you want like a Ford Explorer? you want a Mustang? Like, oh, I want a Mustang, right? And so these things that they want in their life, doing an itemized sheet of how much that costs and saying like, oh, okay, so this is how much money like to get that stuff that you want that you need to make. Okay, so now here's where you'll have to go to school or what kind of job you'll have to get. Here's the steps for that. And kind of trying to bring tangibility to what students want so that they feel supported, mm -hmm. but that they also are motivated and feel that they can accomplish what I'm trying to set out. But, I mean, that's kind of on a teacher level. Uh, Faith, do you have something that, like, schools can do? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm thinking of several different schools um, that do, basically I would call it, like, a, a safety net. And if you can picture a net, <clears throat> if you have, like, a couple of strands across each other, there are some big gaps, right? But the more strands that you use um, crossing each other, then smaller and smaller gaps. So, for instance, um, you were mentioning earlier, Matt, about uh, you're not you're siloed in your classroom, but you're not the only one in the school, right? There are other people there that you can call upon. So a school can set up a structure where people know who to call upon. Here, here's someone, Jackie knows these 10 students very well. They're in her advisory class and she knows them um, specifically on a personal level, um, even if she doesn't teach them in any, any other area. So advisory is one. Um, and one of, the, one of the models I saw in advisory that I really liked was um, a school that every adult in every adult staff member had a group of kids. So whether you worked in the office, whether you're a custodian, whatever you were doing, that, that's what it was. And so they had to do some, it took a while, they had to do some training. Um, there were people that were like, I don't know that I signed up for, for this, but they were able over time to um, really find a way that it worked for them, like maybe interests or um, matching students with adults. And so then they had m many adults in the building, and so then that made these smaller groups, and they were able to really get to know students personally, um, which, you know, was really beautiful to see, actually. Um, or I would say and, actually. So you might also have peer-to-peer -peer mentorship where, you know, you're, you're putting a senior who's been through some leadership training with a group of freshmen, um, putting groups together that um, where they can even hear each other better than hearing an adult, right? So they're hearing a student has already been through a few years of school. So those kind of structures really, um, really help to support students, yes, socially and emotionally, but academically as well. I wonder, are there structures that teachers can have for dealing when students have like a bad day or something? Um, well, hearing Faith talk about um, these these school structures, that makes me think that um, that, that should be a conversation across um, staff. So mm -hmm. like in staff development, in professional development, um, the idea of, of supporting students socially and emotionally should be one of those conversations. Um, I think so that the school as a whole can take a position on what, what those protocols might be. 
um, especially for teachers who might be new to a school community or new mm-hmm. to the profession. Um, they don't feel alone in navigating social emotional health. Um, and that there's sort of like, um, you know, if you see, if you're feeling concerned about a student in their social emotional health, um, the first step would be to go to their counselor, to go to their advisor. So there's sort mm-hmm. of um, a ladder in place or at least a few possibilities. That's I mean, right. obviously each case is, is different and we can rely on our own personal relationships with students, but an additional support for student, um, for teachers who are, who are new to navigating those mm-hmm. things, I think is helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense and something that can be actionable and helpful for students. Yeah, I think there's smaller, like individually negotiated structures right. that you can have in place. I'm That's right. reminded here of a student I had, a high school student I had once upon a time who, um, <laughs> I mean, the way he described it, he would just get angry. Um, mm-hmm. And um, that would manifest in class sometimes. So we just came up with a real quick signal, hand signal that he would mm-hmm. give me, mm-hmm. telling me that he needed to take a walk. And um, the, 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 the situation was, you give me the hand signal, wait for me to acknowledge it, and then you walk away, and then come back when you're ready. Mm-hmm. And that probably wasn't within mm-hmm. the bounds of what I should have done, but it's, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a uniquely negotiated solution that we mm-hmm. figured out. That's right. So. Yeah, and I think that's something that's really important about all the things that you just said for all three of you about possible solutions is that there is an element of creativity in this because yeah. Yeah. there's not an established best practice. And I think that for teachers is what can often be overwhelming is that I know I need to do this, but but how? How do I do it? Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of the suggestions have been offered, but I think also that space to reflect of what can work in your school. Speaking of reflecting... We are getting short on time, and so I think it's helpful to maybe take in final thoughts of over the course of the conversation, there's anything that sticks out that we would like to to share again, or final reflections that you think is important for teachers to have going forward when trying to help students with their social and emotional health while pushing them for academic success. I think it can often be a big challenge for um all people, um, but um, also, but particularly like teachers who have a, just an enormous number of student contacts in a day, to um, to objectify their students. That is to say, um, to treat them as if they were um, uh, things upon which action takes place, mm-hmm. as opposed to agents who are making choices and taking their own action in the world. And um, I think it was Faith who said earlier, like each teacher is a human being and each student is a human being and so each one of those relationships if it's going to be healthy and generative has to be one where the they're intersubjective that is to say that as a teacher I recognize my student as a human as an agent as a subject um, who has desires and has boundaries and then everything that I'm trying to do as a teacher is to help that student flourish as opposed to help that student follow a particular path or fit inside of a certain box. And teachers can be under their own terrific amount of pressure to get the students to follow a particular path or fit inside of a certain box. But that's when, when, when we start to lose sight of the humanity of our students, then it really all starts to, to, to get challenging. That's right. I, I just That's all I can come back to is thinking about people that are working on something together 
that are well not creating something together and like that these solutions can also be creative like was already mentioned and I just in in that way um, I think can get get pretty depressing to be thinking about all these pressures and to be thinking about like well gosh there's really no way out for anybody I mean it's just going to be so difficult Um, but I think that it's full of possibility when you think you have that many people in a room that can create some solutions together, whether it's a signal to take a walk mm-hmm. or um, some, like you, you might have some, something where like, Hey, I want to have a, can we reflect for a minute? I feel like something's going on here. Right. You know, uh, that could be amazing and full of possibility. Yeah. I'm thinking about um, just how, how ideas of indefinitions of success keep coming up in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and how we define success in school and in life aren't always the same thing, and how we can sort of, um, as teachers and as members of school community, um, sort of widen our definition of success. Um, And I think that will help with students and their social-emotional health and development. Yeah, I think building off that, one of the things that I think... This really has to be a school effort, and it can't just be one teacher, but teachers view their roles in different ways. I mean, I know in my experience that I work with a lot of teachers that said, no, there can't be time for this because when they get a job, no one's going to care how they're feeling. And so there's almost like a training for that, even though they acknowledge that the student needs that support, they feel it's almost a disability to give them that support because that won't happen later in life. And so as a teacher, how do we work with teachers that feel that way when even if you disagree with it, you can understand the logic and get somewhere that's productive, that everyone is doing something in their classroom that they feel is appropriate and is working in the best interests of students. And, and I don't know how that conversation starts or where it starts, but I think it's necessary for a school that really is looking at trying to support students, not just academically, but socially mm-hmm. and emotionally. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you all, I guess, next week. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thanks, everybody.